0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of HA Podcast. My name is Angela Jager, and together with Marcelie Kehoe, I would like to welcome the guests of today, Alexa McCarthy uh, from St. Andrews University and Yvonne Bleierveld from the RKD, Netherlands Institute for Art History. So, Alexa, tell us a little bit about your PhD project. You, you delivered your PhD, mm-hmm. and... Uh, You're waiting for the result or? or... Um, I'll be
1: defending it in June or I'll be defending it in the next few months. And so then it will be processed depending Mm -hmm. on the outcome of the defense. And then I'm uh, working on an edited volume that comes from our conference on blue paper in Venice. That will come in, we believe, early 2023. Uh, And I'm also thinking about two forthcoming projects. One is on intaglio printing on blue paper in Italy in the 16th century. And the other is the tonal modeling of light and dark skin on blue paper.
2: Are there many figure drawings of dark figures?
1: There are only a few. And there's- Only a few. Published for the first time in 2020 from Dresden that's attributed to Bacher that was part of that Black and Rembrandt's Time exhibition that shows a a Black model half nude and is part of, it's the only extant figure study of a Black model that comes from that group of Amsterdam artists. But there are others by Neller, for example, um, and considering just the nuances, I think the depiction of skin and and flesh both in drawing and painting and the colors that are used um, there are some really interesting uh, in certain in written discourse and then also technical um, studies that have revealed parallels so that's what I'm looking at.
0: And Yvonne maybe you can say because you you were appointed professor at the Leiden University uh, but you had to wait for inauguration after Covid <laughs> correct? Yeah but
2: it's just yeah That was okay. I had to postpone it only once. I was appointed one and a half year ago and I gave my inaugural speech um, in March.
0: I was actually there and it was was great to be there. And you gave an amazing lecture about drawing on large sheets of paper.
2: Outdoor. eh? So what I wanted to demonstrate is that Artists did not only work in small sketchbooks when they went outdoor as in the 16th and 17th century in the Netherlands, but also on loose sheets of paper. Uh, and then they made use of a uh, portfolio or an, um, a wooden board as a support. And sometimes they even used large format papers. Uh, and then I think of papers of yeah, 60 by 40 centimeters, for instance. Which is not that large, perhaps. But if you go outdoor and you have to bring papers of that size, that's yeah, I don't think that's 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 really easy. So, there's special reasons to do so, to 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 choose for these kind of large sheets. In my opinion, they did so; they chose for these large formats because uh, it gives them space. They were painters and this large sheet of papers gave them the opportunities to render a topographical view or the light of dark contrast in a landscape in a most yeah, proper way, most detailed way. Just so that's, that's what I wanted to make clear. <laughs> and I hope that it was also entertaining. <laughs>
1: very much was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great lecture. I mean, I only attended via Zoom, but it was it was great. <laughs> oh, you it-
0: attended via Zoom? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
1: Alexa
2: did, yeah. The last time we met was two years ago. We met in person at, at a Drawing Out Rembrandt conference at the Rijksmuseum, Museum, and that was just before the pandemic started in February 2020, and then, well, in March the world changed and we all had to stay at home but we are in touch every now and then and we always discuss the art of drawing and blue paper of course because that's the the topic of your dissertation that you delivered last month isn't it yes yes and that you have to defend at the University of St Andrews and well before we discuss some matters about the use of blue paper i just wanted to ask you when did you start with your research? It's actually something I don't know. When did you start? And and was there a special reason for you for choosing a blue paper as your
1: yeah topic, use and a function
2: and a production of blue paper? Yes, well,
1: thank you so much, Yvonne. I have been considering blue paper since about 2013, 2014, when I was working at the Metropolitan Museum of Art uh, in the Department of Drawings and Prints. And I was cataloging a number of drawings and prints on blue paper, and of course, more so drawings than prints, which we'll discuss as well. But I fell in love with the material. And then I started to see, as I was researching the objects, that there wasn't a lot about the material itself in the literature, art historical literature, um, and really where we have to look is, is the work of conservators. And so I started to think about this topic more and really in earnest began working on it about uh, 2018 before beginning my PhD in 2019 in the fall.
2: So you did it in a very short period of time, your research. Three yes. years. It took I'd, you three
1: years. To complete my PhD, yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: I'm impressed. No. And I I think that it's yeah it's 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 very nice but also very useful that you uh, decided to focus on this topic because when Ilya Feldman and I were conducting research on our collection catalogue on 16th century Netherlandish drawings for the Tyler's Museum in Haarlem, which was published in 2016, we noticed that there yeah there's almost no literature on blue paper at least not from an art historical point of view, and uh, so I think it's very good for us as researchers on drawings that there will be your book between now and a year or two years, perhaps. (laughs) And we were looking, Ilya Feldman and I were looking for literature on on blue paper because one of the main groups of of drawings in Taylor's museum are the drawings by Henrik Holtius that he made uh, during his stay in Rome in 1590 1591. And about, well, I think about 40, 35 or 40 drawings of this group are made on blue paper. I, I had two ideas about blue paper. and I think both were a bit naive. My, idea, my first idea was that all blue paper came from Venice. Mm-hmm. And my second thought was that blue paper was very expensive. Right. But you told me that both ideas are not correct.
1: Am I right? They certainly are both ideas that have been perpetuated in the literature when blue paper is mentioned, but now we've started to learn that these two facts are slightly different um, in, in actuality so First, the paper was made in Italy primarily. So beginning in the late 14th century, uh, we know, and it was made throughout. So not necessarily just in the Veneto, but also in Brescia, uh, Fabriano. Um, And so these towns supplied uh, the paper. And certainly we see the proliferation of the use of blue paper in Venice in the 15th and 16th centuries. But uh, blue paper began to be produced in the Netherlands in the mid to to late 17th century. So before that, it was largely France supplying uh, the Netherlands with blue paper. Um, And we do see watermarks, French watermarks in in Dutch examples of blue paper. So it was first produced in Italy, but the practice spread to the North. um, And this was again during the 17th century. And
2: paper in the Dutch Republic came from France,
1: not always, but that was a large supplier. Yeah. The French. Okay. Roman
2: yeah. Supplier. Yeah. Yeah. Also from Italy. And was from it Italy. also imported from Italy? Yes. And in the late seventeenth century, the production
1: in Holland began. Uh, mid mid to late. Oh, okay. okay. A bit a bit white earlier. paper. So we start yeah. with the blue paper. The um, hypothesis by Hank Vorn, the the paper historian in the Netherlands, yes. that. Yeah. Um, we blue paper was perhaps uh, in the lower quality blue paper used for commercial purposes such as wrapping sugar um, may have been made in the Netherlands as early as the 1630s. 1586 <laughs> actually, in Dordrecht was the first um, first paper uh, fabrication center paper.. Yeah. No. And yeah, then cool. we really start to see the widespread production in, in the uh, later 17th century.
2: So it all started in Italy, and then it spread out to the north, and it's good to bear in mind that all paper in the 16th or 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century, before 1800, was handmade, isn't it? Every sheet of paper was handmade in yeah. paper mills, so it was very, a very time-consuming process to make a sheet of paper. Yeah,
1: for the introduction of the Hollander beater, which really comes into widespread use in about 1670, which yeah. made the process of breaking down the fibers much simpler. But before this, there was a stamper beater and um, it was not a, a, as easy of a process or as quick a, of a process.
2: How was blue paper made?
1: So there were several different type ways that blue paper was produced. And and of course, in this early modern period, we have the three main functions for which paper was produced, which are of course, wrapping, writing, and by proxy drawing, and then also printing. And so discarded rags uh, and the rag fibers. So as Caroline Fowler has described these products of waste and filth um, become the substance that really was a a main means of communication in this period. So these rags are sorted by paper mill employees who are mostly women and children into different grades um, from coarse to super fine. And Mm -hmm. because blue, uh, the the fabric um, colorants of indigo and woad which are used to make blue paper, were strong enough to withstand the papermaking process, the fermentation of the rags, etc., and they don't require a mordant or substance to fix the dye, these uh, colors could homogenize the tones of the less desirable, less pristine rags. So to make blue paper or cartridge paper, which we know this gray paper um, that is kind of coarse, these were made out of the, the lower quality rags. So this of course then addresses the question about cost. Um, mm-hmm. Because you yeah. use less expensive rags for this process or you know dirty rags, rags with stains or w- which were worn, it was not as costly of a material um, to make, to produce. And often when you look at transmitted light images of Blue paper used for drawing. It's often quite cloudy, which is indicative of the different fibers that are used to make the sheet. And you also have these lentils or kind of clumps of unprocessed fibers throughout that make it this more variegated texture, a rougher texture. And so it, it is a, a beautiful color and it's it catches your eye, but it's not necessarily an expensive material. Yeah. So,
2: uh, blue paper is less expensive than white paper because the raw materials are of a lesser quality. Yes. Am I correct? And then, is it necessary to? Because I think that if you turn these uh, rags, these these low quality rags, into pulp, yeah. into pulp, which is the yes. uh, yeah the, the ground for um, the paper, uh, is it necessary to add some extra color to it, an extra pigment?
1: Yes, so most- Otherwise it it will be gray or or brown. Right, so most often we see that a um, colorant, again, indigo or woad, has been used to homogenize the tone. The Blue Paper Research Consortium, which consists of paper and book conservators, paper makers and dyers, um, are looking at these questions of at what stage in the process. Were these dyes added? and how to get the what the, these different uh, stages and when these dyes were added, what that does for the final outcome. So looking and comparing um, old or samples, these sixteenth and seventeenth century samples, and then what can be produced presently in this kind of making and knowing um, concept to inform when perhaps these colors were added but there are multiple ways in which this, the the color paper is produced. One is that the fibers are naturally the color that you're trying to to make, but that is very difficult, as you can say, to get the fabrics to all consistently break down in the same way and maintain that color. Um, Very challenging. Often also, when you look at blue paper under a microscope, you see brown fibers, red fibers. So that's quite indicative of the fact that there was a dye added at some stage. Yeah, Yeah. it was really necessary, yeah, to get the And that's what you often see, that uh, variegated and dyed is what we call it. So variegated means that just the different colors of the fibers contain blue, um, and perhaps some other colors as well. Variegated and dyed means that it's these blue fibers with some other fibers, and then an addition of indigo or woad okay things. yeah
0: yeah 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 may, may I ask oh. also something <clears throat> why would they use a blue pigment then and not another
1: right.
0: pigment to color the rag pulp into maybe another color I mean why why, why? would it be blue per se yes.
2: yeah that's 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 of course the, that's the main question what, yes. what are the benefits of blue of blue paper why so, why would an artist?
1: want uh, to use blue paper, right? Yes, and and why over other yeah. colors? Sure. Yeah, why over other colors? Yeah. The strength of those dyes, so the indigo and woad, they withstood the uh, the redding process. So that is the breakdown uh, via an alkaline solution of the rags, and they they are stronger during to during the papermaking process. They they hold on you know, so they're, they're they're used for that purpose. Then there's the mordant issue, so they don't require a substance to fix the dye. There's also the idea, and this is something that I think we really need to look to textile historians for, um, that many of the raw rag materials were blue. Um, One of the darkest dyes one could procure during this time was a blue color. And so this, over time, if you had fabric that um, you were using to, you were wearing to work and you were re-wearing frequently, if they became dirty, they would be dyed. And to create this overall color, a blue or a darker color would hide some of these imperfections. So this is one idea, that there was a proliferation of blue colored fabrics. Um, and then the other idea, and they could certainly work hand in hand, is the strength of those dyes that were used, the indigo and the woad.
2: Okay, so there's not there, those are not artistic reasons, but
1: technical reasons. Those are technical reasons. Um, and then for the artistic reasons, certainly, the dark or the color, you, you lose the mid-tone. So the inherent tonality of the blue paper does not require intervention on the part of the artist in terms of preparing um, a to- with a tonal wash. So you have a readily available inherent blue sheet of paper onto which you can articulate the light dislights with a white heightening, gouache or white chalk, and the darkest arcs with a dark chalk or charcoal um, without the necessity for that step of preparation. And so for drawing sculptural cast three-dimensional forms, this becomes a very useful uh, tool. Um, Iris Brahms also writes about, she was one of the first to really write about the speed and um, in, of, the, of the use of blue paper, this inherent speed component. Um, she published an article in 2015 about about that.
2: Well, I think it's, that's that's very important to mention. That and then, yeah, from the 15th century onwards, there was ready-made blue paper available because artists, in my view, felt the need not not only to work on white paper but also on colored paper, and. What they often did before blue paper became available more yeah, easily, I suppose, is colouring the papers themselves, with a, just with a brush and, and with some watercolour. In blue, but also in green, or in blue-green, or even in pink. Or they gave their the paper they worked on a creamy colour.
1: Yes, sometimes, a, like I think of Filipino Leapy with these lovely pinks, these subtle pinks and blues, and sometimes colouring one side of the sheet one color and, and oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's another color. possibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And then they used the verso as well. Yes. In the in a different color. Yeah. So they were aware of the fact that if you start with a with a colored ground, then it affects the whole character, the entire character of your drawing.
1: Yes. And your research with Ilya Veldman was so instrumental to understanding the relevance of the three-dimensionality in Holtzius' working practice as he is in Rome. So he, the argument that you both make about the initial drawing being on blue paper to capture the three-dimensionality of the sculptural form and then using, translating that drawing into the, where we have the extent, more highly finished neutral sheet with red chalk that is then used to create the engravings uh, for the sculptural series which where they exist. So I think that argument was quite fundamental in terms of establishing the significance of blue paper and artistic practice.
2: Well perhaps it's, it's good to, to, to elaborate on this to explain to our listeners that Henrik, Henrik Holtius went to Rome in, in 1519, as I already said, and he stayed in Rome for seven months, and he made many drawings on spots, uh, at least we think that he worked on spots, and he made two kind of drawings, drawings on blue paper with black and white chalk, and he made drawings in red chalk on white paper. And we think, and that's not only Ilya Feldman and I, but it was already Resnicek, who said so in, uh, in the 60s, when he wrote his uh, monograph on uh, Henrik Roltius, we think that Henrik Roltius worked on spots in Italy, making drawings of all kinds of classical sculptures on blue paper. So those were the first drawings that he made. And then he, afterwards, when he came home in his workshop or in the place where he stayed in Rome, or perhaps he did it when he was back in, in, in Harlem. Uh, He made a second version on white paper in Red Shark. And he made these drawings of classical statues. We think that his aim was to to make a print series with with a companion of the most beautiful classical statues of Rome. Uh, A print series that he perhaps would, 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 would like to publish as a series or in a book. And that the drawings on blue paper were, were the initial stage and that red chart drawings were the designs for his prints. But in the end, uh, only three drawings were really turned into prints, were engraved after his death. So for some reason, yeah, he, he did not finish the project. Perhaps he was too busy or, or perhaps there were no engravers that he could help him with this, yeah, quite large projects, so we don't know what the reason is, but from the watermarks of the blue paper that Henry Krolschius used in Italy, we know that he, that that, that it was Italian paper that he worked on, and that's, yeah, in my view it's logical that he bought this paper when he was in Rome, he didn't took it with him uh, along the way. So do you think that he could have been inspired by his Italian colleagues when he decided to work on blue paper?
1: Oh yes, certainly feel that he was looking at um, his contemporaries and also his predecessors in Rome and certainly uh, figures like the Carracci who drew these sculptural forms on blue paper. Um, I, I also think that if, we consider um, is later, a bit later, practice. I believe it is a bit later, where he begins to use uh, blue paper as a printing surface for trial proofs of woodcuts. Um, and that's that's later.
2: That's later yeah. indeed. Yes, later. Uh, in the late nineties. Yeah. Then he made he 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 made a series of woodcuts, landscape woodcuts, yes. that he printed on blue paper. Yeah, you're right.
1: And then there is the one proof of Hillis van Breen. I think they date that to the late 1580s. And I don't know if that impression, which I believe is in the Rijksmuseum. Yes, I wonder, I'm not sure about the watermark, uh, if there is a watermark on that impression, which might indicate whether he all if he had sourced blue paper previously from Italy or if it was from the Netherlands, and then that would have been in the later part of the 16th century, and perhaps not necessarily produced in the in the Netherlands at that point.
2: I think the woodcut that you—it's the portrait of Gilles Van Breen, isn't yeah. it? But it's not dated, and so it's—it is dated based on the portrait that he made, right. uh, the chalk portrait that he made uh, of Gilles Van Van Brain. and that's that's dated 1588. So. <laughs> The idea is that this woodcut of his yeah, friend and colleague can be dated around the same time, but perhaps that's not correct. Perhaps, perhaps not. he made it later.
1: Mm-hmm. Why not? Very well. Could what do have. you think? Very well could have after his return from Rome. Yeah,
2: that's. I think that sounds more reasonable. If mm-hmm. he if he had that experience with blue with blue paper in in Rome and then. He came back and a few years later, he started this project with these yes. landscape woodcuts as he printed on blue paper. But well, perhaps he made this Gilles from Brain portrait in the same period. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Those and people.
2: otherwise, if he really, if he indeed made it around 1558, as the literature says, then yeah, perhaps uh, blue paper was already available in, uh, in Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antwerp was a very important um, uh, commercial center, so why not? Absolutely. I think it it, it it yeah it was it could have been available in uh, in Antwerp, don't you think mm-hmm. so?
1: Sure, and that was a major producer uh, before fall of Antwerp and, and production moved north. So yes,
2: because there's also a a drawing on blue paper made by Frans Flores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a design for a print. It's the allegory of touch, and yes. it's designed for the print series the with the five census. And this print series is dated 1561. So his drawing must be made in the same year or yeah, shortly before 1561. So that means that Franz Flores already was able to buy blue paper.
1: So it would have been available either in terms of production or through, yeah. through trade without Having yeah, a tr-
2: Peter Bruegel made two drawings on blue paper as well, isn't it? And it's a landscape that he that's dated fifteen fifty four. Okay. And then he was still in Rome because Bruegel was in Rome uh, or in Italy at least he was in Italy between fifteen fifty two and
1: fifteen fifty four. So perhaps that's on Italian paper too. Could be. Yes. Could I think. be. Looking. At- <laughs> It's so critical to be able to see. And then of course there is less of a presence of watermarks on blue sheets uh, for one reason or another. And there also is the oh. consideration that perhaps um, molds that were used to produce white paper as they aged um, were then used to create blue paper. So the watermarks uh, yeah. Yeah. would And of course there's the issue of false marks where perhaps a certain image was used to emulate another paper mill. So they can be misleading, but of course, looking at the sheets in person is really the only way to start to piece some of these things together.
2: What about the molds they used for blue paper? Perhaps the molds were less refined as well as the paper was, as the end result was. Perhaps they use these refined bowls with thin copper lines only for the refined, high-quality
1: white paper. Yes, and I think... What do you think? You, yeah, I think... As time went on, and perhaps the certainly indications are that the production of the blue paper wasn't as careful of a process and didn't require the most refined materials. However, there are examples of extremely highly refined blue paper produced in 16th century Italy, like the sheets that Durer was using when he was in Venice that have very few imperfections and very clear watermarks and so there and then are there are also the papers that um are used in Venice by Aldus and um and others to print books and those of course are highly refined and look very different than the materials used for drawings from the same period so the question there is were they produced for an express purpose or an express um you know, individual commissioned by. Yeah,
2: on commission, perhaps on commission. Yeah. Yeah. Then we're dealing with a higher quality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, with a different kind of paper. So when when do we see blue paper? Yeah, begin to emerge in the Netherlands. We. Already mentioned Pieter Bruegel and, and uh Henrik Goltzius Frans Florence. Yes. Were they the
1: first artists? The earliest known, and really we see it start to take off in the 1620s, 1630s, in in Amsterdam, certainly then in Harlem uh, because of Holtzius. I, I believe already we see the Ter family in Svol doing this as well. And so we really see this start to um, emerge as a support for drawings in, in the 1600s, really. In the 1630s is when the students from Rembrandt's school who take up the material of blue paper, Flink, Boll, um, and, and they align themselves with Bacher and Van Lowe. This is happening in the later 1630s for Flink and into the 1640s. And for Boll, it's really after he leaves Rembrandt in the 1650s. And uh, how's the situation in Flanders? How about Flemish artists? With Van Dyck, who is really a key figure in terms of the, I believe, um, this use of blue paper coming into Amsterdam as his style is really starting to take off in Amsterdam and this kind of Italianate uh, Flemish Italianate style. Van Dyck can be seen as one of these figures that that is an early blue paper user and in, influences this use in in the north. Okay,
2: yeah, that's interesting. Bruegel and and Hendrik holsch they are real pioneers mm-hmm. when it comes to the northern art. Yes. But on the other hand, they can they can also stand on the shoulders of their predecessors, eh, because their predecessors. Couldn't, could not buy ready-made blue paper, but they experimented themselves by, um, by using tonal washes.
1: Yes, yes. And we only have drawings that are attributed to Rubens as on blue paper, but not given yeah. to him with, with firm attribution.
2: And, and what type of compositions um, do we often see drawn on blue paper? Where it was blue paper used for all kind of genres, or for finished drawings, or for drawings for
1: sale, or workshop material. Largely workshop material, figure studies, drawing from life, uh, drawing the nude body, or also the body in clothing in different positions. Um, we see this by you know the the bent vogels as well. Um, in terms of artists who were again experiencing Italy and then also the Netherlands drawing these figure studies on blue paper. So what I tend to look at in my work are uh, is the use of blue paper for figure studies in the context of the workshop. But then there are more highly finished drawings, certainly those by like Willem von Meeres, for example, um, as we get later on, that are more compositional um, in many cases. And then your work on on landscapes, which are fewer um, than than we most frequently see, I think the largest concentration we see are figure studies, during, especially during this period of the mid seventeenth century.
2: Yeah, and then I think of Cornelis Bega, for instance. Yeah, he worked in Haarlem, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He also, by the way, he also made drawings in red chalk on white paper. Actually, he did the same as Scholtz. He made, he did, yeah, he made the same combinations, although as far as I know, he, he did not do the same compositions.
1: Right, yes. He,
2: he, he didn't make ad- identical compositions in, in blue, in, on blue paper in wild, white and black chalk and on white paper in red in red chalk, isn't it?
1: No, and and I th- we were as also talking about the fact that this blue tone really resonates throughout Bejas compositions. Um, this kind of yeah. blue, undertone throughout and he, he do see the material of blue paper in his depictions of um, astrologers and of alchemists where he actually signs one of the compositions on um, the sheet of blue paper at the center of the composition so to me that really denotes the material significance for the artist yeah that's why I,
2: I can't remember that we talked about this last week that you had the idea that Vega also made use of Blue paper because there's a lot of blue in his paintings isn't Mm it it could be correct but on the other hand I think that he also made use of blue paper because it was so profitable as a kind of yes yeah to to study light and dark
1: yes and I think that that tone the studies impacted the color I, I don't necessarily feel that he chose the material as a reflection of his vision of of these blue tones in the painting, but I think almost having drawn the composition on blue paper to study light and shade, as you say, influenced the, the tonality oh, yes. of the final painting. So um, it's
2: almost the other way around. Yes, yes. So yes. He,
1: it yeah. influences that play of light and color that he's studying influences the final uh, chromatic scheme.
2: Do, do you think um, that listeners will yeah, we'll be familiar with Bega, that he is a genre painter. Well, perhaps it's it's good to tell that he made thicker studies of women. Mm-hmm. Many he depicted many women, didn't he? And young young men, sometimes without faces or without hands. That indicates that he was really interested in the the rendering of the textures of their garments and the, the play of light and dark on the draperies. That he was really yeah, carefully observing shadows, parts of the body that catch light, and I think that blue paper was for him, yeah, an an, an excellent means or an excellent, yeah, to to practice or to observe, to to render his observations because he could use, and that also goes for other artists who made figure studies, he could use the blue as a middle tone
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and then stress the darker parts by using the black chalk and highlight the the larger parts with uh, white chalk.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we see that these figures that then reappear with some variation, much like we see with uh, Flink, Boll, Van Lowe and Bacher, they animate his paintings and reflect those same patterns of light and shade. So he is looking to them throughout and making adjustments depending on the composition. Yeah, and sometimes
2: there is a direct relation between a drawing and a painting, isn't it? And we can see a figure in one of his drawings appearing in one of his paintings. Yes, yep, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. not always, but sometimes.
0: What do you think, how many drawings on blue paper have survived as opposed to drawing some white paper is it because of their different uses could you reflect on that a little bit I
1: think that it, I mean we do see in auction records in the 18th century a note of like nudes on blue paper um, or so this kind of calling out the material, which is a somewhat unusual. And we do know that for example, you know, Bakker was praised in early on, I believe it was, was it Hal Brocken who said, you know, Bakker was um, known for his depictions of nude women on blue paper and they're very prized by collectors. And so, there is reference to the fact that these drawings are valued. I also believe that they were stored in portfolios in, in the workshop context. So we know this, for example, in Italy in the Cagliari and Bassano and Tintoretto workshops that these were either affixed to rolls of canvases or stored in portfolios for reference for the workshop. So I do think that because perhaps they were used and um, shared among artists working within the same group that um, they were preserved in some cases, they weren't necessarily used um, like incised or, or, there's no intervention in terms of the translation from drawing to painting. So it's not as if they, um, were destroyed really sometimes you see squaring for transfer but um, they, they withstood the workshop practice in many cases
2: yeah in the first case they were made as workshop material isn't it Yes uh, but later on but later on so they were made for the, for the, for use in the workshop as Alexa said but later on in the, in, the, in the late 17th, in the course of the 18th century those kind of drawings workshop material became, favorite among uh, art collectors as well we do not know a lot about uh, the collection the collecting of drawings in the 17th century but what we do know is that art collectors art lovers had a preference for well-finished drawings that drawings that were highly finished and were really made for sale Um, but later on when these workshop estates came on the market those kind of drawings became important or in, interesting for collectors as well.
0: And yeah. I did find sources from the beginning of the 18th century, really early on, mm-hmm. that a collector was telling one of the travelers that I studied, uh, Zacharias van Uffenbach, that he collected drawings because they showed something in, in the artistic process. So mm-hmm. something between yeah. his yeah. thoughts and the finished product. And yeah. that was the reason why he wanted to, it, it, it was the the son of Govert Flink, who had a large collection okay. of drawings in Rotterdam, and he, it, it's the reason why he, uh,
2: he, yeah, and some were collected by uh, artists as well, of course, eh? for instance, uh, yeah. uh, Wauerman mm-hmm. he had access uh, to, uh, to the drawing, or he even had his possession of Pieter van Laar, so then he, yeah. He could use them as an example. And we know, at least how Braken tells, that Philips Wauermann burnt his own drawings because he didn't want to have his son to get his drawings and to profit of them. He had to... Yeah, His idea was he had to, his son had to do it himself. I, I would like to say a few words about uh, landscapes yes, on please. the blue paper. Because they're also... Dutch artists who worked on blue paper and who made landscapes. And then there are only a few, as Alexa already said, it was rather exceptional. But on the other hand, perhaps a lot is lost. Since Pieter Bruegel already made landscapes on blue paper, perhaps there was a tradition to make landscapes on blue paper that we are not very aware of because so many material uh, is unknown to us nowadays. But there are some artists who worked on blue paper, like uh, Joris van der Hagen, an artist who was uh, born in Arnhem and later settled in The Hague. And he made a lot of drawings on blue paper, uh, immediate surroundings of The Hague, but also in the east side of the country. He's one of the artists who traveled to the east side, to Nijmegen and Arnhem and to the Rhine Valley, because they were so interested in in the hilly landscape around uh, yeah, these uh, cities, and they went even further to Kleve in uh, Germany. Well, so did Joros van der Hagen, and I think what's very, yeah, special, very, uh, yeah, interesting about his work that he u- he used very large sheets of blue paper, and I have the idea that he used this paper outdoors. So he went outdoors uh, to make drawings on spots using large sheets of blue paper, and and, and what's also very special that he. He did not use black and white chalk like all these painters did who made figure studies on blue paper, but he made use of pen and ink. And he was not the first to do so. That was Peter Bruegel. He also made use of pen pen and ink when he worked on drawings.
0: So how would that work in practice? Like you would bring ink and a pen and on yeah. the spot you, you, you need yeah. a, a surface underneath the, the paper? Yeah, you need an,
2: uh, a, k- a kind of board, a wooden board, or you need an, uh, a large drawing portfolio that you can use as a support that you can put on your knees and uh, that can also serve to bring your paper. And then, uh, yeah, you can you can Lay a large sheet of paper on your knees, on your on, on a kind of wooden board, and bring some pen and ink in a small shell or so. Yeah, uh, Rembrandt made made drawings in pen and ink as well, outdoor, and so did all his pupils. Chalk was the most easy material, of course, eh? Like Jan van Gooijen and Jozias van der Velde, they made drawings in chalk when they worked outdoor, because yet you you can put it easily in your pocket. It's it's very convenient. But yeah, you can work with, with pen and ink as well. It's not that difficult.
1: And you show that, uh, or the example of that uh, Kirk self-portrait, where he's in yeah. drawing on a large blue sheet of paper that is yeah, is. Right. Um, yeah. supported by one of those wooden tablets.
2: Yeah, he had a wooden tablet. And yeah, indeed, he was working in pen and ink. I think that if you want to catch the play of light of sunlight in in your drawing then you can better make use of pen and ink than of chalk. Ch- chalk is always a, a bit a bit flat. Mm-hmm. And with with pen and ink you can make better contrasts between light and dark
1: using one shade perhaps as well rather than where with the to create the nuances with the chalks on the the blue paper, you would probably, certainly you can do this. And there are examples of just black chalk or just charcoal um, modeled differently to convey um, dark and shade, but, it's much easier to convey this with, with both dark chalk and light chalk. Whereas if you use pen and ink and you um, vary the line, perhaps the opacity of the line, it might contribute to that shimmery effect.
2: Joris van der Hagen, he, he, he did the same. He, he started with the outlines in chalk, and then he worked his drawings up in pen and ink. And it, it 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 is possible, of course, that he only made a chart drawing outdoor and then that he went home and worked his drawing up with pen and ink in a workshop. But in my view, if if you look at the way he, the, the sunlight he catches sunlight in his compositions, I think he made it on spot. I think that was all, also his main purpose when he went outdoor to make studies of, of light and dark. Yeah. And I think you you cannot do it. Yeah, van, van onthoud, from memory, from the hout, as Samuel van Hoogstraat said. Mm-hmm. You have to see the scene in front of you.
1: Yes.
0: But then it should have been done in a quick medium. Is uh,
1: ink a quick medium? Yeah, is it quick, Alexa? I think it would have had to you know dry a, a bit. I don't know. I mean, I, he might have depending on where how he stored it so if he was using a portfolio like Van Fleet and then closed it there would probably be an imprint now on the other sheet yeah.
2: yeah yeah you have to take some time to to get it to to get it dry before you go home yeah yeah otherwise it will you will get stains if you fold it it's not an easy medium of course you cannot make corrections yeah. with, with pen and ink and that's the reason why collectors, 17th century and 18th century collectors of drawings, held drawings in pen and ink in very high esteem, because you really need to be a talented draftsman to work in pen and ink. Mm-hmm. While well, on the other hand, Gerard okay. said in 1711, he condemned drawing with a pen. He condemned it as a poor practice Proper for schoolmasters, not for artists. Instead, he highly recommends drawing in chalk on blue or grey paper. So he says in his Groot Schilder book of seventeen eleven.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great end to the to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Some um, wise words by Gerard de la Ressa. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I think I think it's been very interesting.
1: Thank you again. I mean, I so appreciate all your time and just the opportunity to talk about Blue Paper on this amazing pla- podcast and platform that you two have pioneered. I mean, it's incredible. And I have listened to every episode. So <laughs> thank you for letting me be a part of it. And Yvonne, thank you for um, also discussing Blue Paper with me.
2: Well, it was nice to think about Blue Paper this week. And I'm really looking forward to your book. We'll keep you all post out. Oh, you all yeah, post. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure.
1: I hope you've enjoyed this examination of blue paper, and congratulations, Alexa, on defending your dissertation since this episode was recorded. In the meantime, it was wonderful to see many of you at the Historians of Netherlandish Art Conference in June. Stay tuned for our next episode with Barbara Kaminska and Angela Loconte on disability and early modern art history.